0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, this is Jared Sandler getting ready for another episode of the Just a Sec podcast. And I just want to start off by thanking all of you for tuning in, whether this is the first time or you've tuned in multiple times. I really, really enjoy having conversations, whether they're recorded or not. But the opportunity to have conversations with some really interesting and successful people inside and outside of the sports world has been tons of fun. And I love getting the chance to share these conversations with all of you. You can always subscribe to my YouTube page, sandlerj One. Of course, follow me on Twitter at Jared Sandler and then on Instagram at Jared Sandler underscore because someone took at Jared Sandler trying to figure out who. But I have all that content posted uh, through those various mediums and Facebook as well. I've got a Facebook page. I think it's facebookcom slash Jared Sandler one. Uh, so you can always go there to catch up on. Uh, you know, other elements of content. We don't just have interviews like this, but past episodes and stuff like that. Uh, this interview is a really special one for me. I do a lot of work with people in the disabled community. Uh, my, cha- uh, my charity, the Sandlot Children's Charity, is focused on that. And uh, it's because, in my opinion, uh, you know, the, the people who make up this community are are some of the happiest most positive and and even ambitious people that you'll meet and Bryce Weiler is a perfect example of that I was actually alerted to Bryce by the program director at 105 through the fan Gavin Spittle, because someone had alerted him and Gavin knowing my tie to uh, people with disabilities as well as my joy in interviewing people said, Hey, would you like to interview Bryce? Uh, Someone reached out to me. So I said, I absolutely would. I did some research on Bryce and I was fascinated. This is someone who is blind. He is around my age, uh, yet he has accomplished way more. Uh, He started a, a, a foundation to support people with disabilities called the beautiful lives project. He's worked for the Baltimore Orioles in their front office He's broadcasted an NBA game for the Boston Celtics, and he's had a ton of really interesting experiences that I had the pleasure of chatting with him about. So here is my conversation with Bryce Weiler. All right, Bryce, so for people listening, how would you characterize the condition that uh, you've dealt with since birth?
1: I was born with an eye condition called retinopathy of prematurity. And that happened because when I was born, due to too much light or too much oxygen in the hospital, the retinas in my eyes detached.
0: And at what point did you realize that you did not have the ability to see, which a lot of other people did? How old were you and and what do you remember about uh, finding that piece of information out?
1: I don't really know when that was. I can tell you the first time that I that I ever met people who people who are blind when I was about 9 or 10, I was really shocked to meet other people who are blind, but I've always just just known that I was blind and that I can't see.
0: Did you ever have to do anything to cope with that or was it just something that naturally you were like, "Hey, this is the hand I've been dealt and I'm just going to do everything that I'm able to do" and and then some or Did you have struggles at any point when you were growing up uh, about having to deal with that sort of thing?
1: Since I've been blind, basically my entire life, it's never really bothered me. And it's just been how it's always been for me. But I know now from the work that I do, when someone becomes blind or in a wheelchair or things like that, partway through their life, that can be really hard and something that is really challenging for them.
0: What, uh, you know, you're, you're, we're going to get into your story, which is incredibly inspiring, but uh, I'm curious, you know, and in, in, as you know, uh, and as some of our listeners know, uh, I do a lot of work with uh, people with uh, both physical and intellectual disabilities, and, and they all have different stories and interesting stories, and, and some of them just persevered from day one, others kind of had a, a seminal moment where they were, you know, they kinda looked in the mirror and, and uh kinda had the thought of uh listen, I, I I've gotta I'm gonna do something. I'm not just gonna sit here and, and be labeled by whatever condition I have. I wanna be labeled by what I achieved. Did you did you have a moment like that or has it just always been in your DNA? to go out and, and do things that people would never believe that maybe someone in your position would be capable of doing?
1: I've always wanted to try really hard, but whenever I was in college, people told me I couldn't be a blind radio broadcaster or that I couldn't work in sports because I can't see. And, and those were things that really frustrated me because I, I knew that I could do those things even though I can't see. And I just decided I was going to do anything in my power to be able to accomplish those goals and dreams and to help others as well
0: all right so you mentioned the the broadcasting you mentioned sports we're gonna get into the broadcasting uh and in the sports here in a second i'm curious just for people to understand what are some of the things that maybe aren't that challenging to you uh that some people might think would be challenging and then on a daily basis what are the biggest challenges that you still have to deal with with your condition
1: Things that aren't challenging would be once I have learned a route to a new building or to a new place, I can uh, get myself there by myself because I'll learn landmarks like cracks in a sidewalk or how many, like, you know, if I if I hit a trash can, um, then a few steps down the sidewalk I have to turn right or left. So those are things when I think about things people are surprised that I can do and, and things that are still challenging for me now are figuring out what colors match with what I can always call someone who can tell me or I'll look it up on the computer or sometimes having food boxes read to me so I can make microwave meals. But there is always a special app I can use for that called the Be My Eyes app where anybody in the country or the world can, can help, with, with telling me about colors or or helping me read the food directions on my microwavable food boxes. That's unbelievable.
0: So there's an app where someone, you, you kind of call upon someone, and, and they're just people waiting to support you and, and, and help in whatever it is that you need, essentially?
1: It is called the Be My Eyes app, and that is for people who are blind or visually impaired to use. And anybody can sign up to be a volunteer. Maybe you could do it, Jared, or or some of your friends and listeners or family. And it might take a while for you to get your first phone call on the Be My Eyes app. And if you're busy or you're not in a good place where you can answer it, you don't have to worry because there's always someone else who can answer the call. But sometimes people get upset when they miss their first Be My Eyes phone call because they were really looking forward to assisting someone who's visually impaired or who is
0: blind. I think that's something that I'm going to uh, sign up to do this afternoon. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you shared that with me. And I, th- I thought it was amazing you said that you notice cracks, uh, you know, on a sidewalk or, or in the pavement. Uh, you know, it, it's incredible, uh, you know, the things that you do to learn a route. How long does it take you, you know, you said once you familiarize yourself with a route, how long about does that take? Is it, is it one attempt? Is it, you know, going somewhere three times, five times? What, what does it typically take?
1: I'd say maybe five to six lessons with a special teacher uh, who can teach people who are blind how to properly use canes and, and how to, to navigate um, with, with, you know, maybe, maybe some other destinations put on the route. So the typical lesson could last from one to two hours. So within probably five to six lessons, I would learn how to get to all of my classes in college or... Or, or or um any other buildings and then as I went through college and I had classes in the same buildings it became a lot faster because I already knew how to get to the business school building or whatever building it was and they would just show me how to find the 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 room in that building that I was looking for by landmarks or by listening to listening to a to a hallway coming up or listening to a big opening and then saying, okay, after you get through the big opening where you hear echoes, search for the first turn on your right or it's going to be the first door on your right.
0: Bryce, I, I, I'm curious. I know that some people uh, handle this differently than others. Do you like when you are just walking in the hallway and someone is proactive about offering help or do you prefer that uh, they not offer you help and instead let you figure it out or, or do it without assistance?
1: I'm never going to yell at someone for offering me help, whether I I need it or not. And if I don't, I'll normally nicely tell them that I can make it. Or, you know, sometimes if I'm feeling a little uncertain, I will have them help me. But there's always a time when someone really needs help and and sometimes people are scared to ask cuz the last time they asked someone who's blind for example that person yelled at them and said they didn't need help so then that that really scares the person to ask again in the future and I don't want to be someone who makes it harder for someone else who really needs help in the future and sometimes I might really need help myself.
0: It's an amazing perspective Bryce uh, and you mentioned before we we get on to sports and and what you're up to what you've accomplished you mentioned, uh, you know, which colors match and stuff. Uh, I, I don't think, I think you could probably help me with that. I certainly know that my wife would tell you that you could probably help me with that. But, uh, you know, something like getting dressed in, in, in the morning, how do you tell what color, when you reach for a shirt, uh, how do you know what color it is? Is it organized in a certain way or, I mean, is there some sort of uh, indication on the shirt that you're able to kind of feel around and, 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 and draw from that?
1: I mostly have clothes that can match with, with everything else, but for certain clothes that, that they have to be matched with a special shirt or a special pair of pants or a special short shorts, I have those in a separate section. And if I think that they're lost or I'm not really sure, I just call them a be my eyes app, or if there's someone nearby, I can ask, I'll ask them, but I always feel really comfortable using, using the special Be My Eyes app, I just have to always think that I need to turn the 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 light on in my room because I don't normally have the light on since I can't see. Sometimes they answer and they say, it's really dark where you are. Is it nighttime? <laughs> and sometimes I'll say yes or no, depending on what it is. And then uh, they'll be like, you might want to turn the light on. And I say, yeah, you're right. I forget people need that.
0: That's, uh, <laughs> that's funny uh, to hear you share that. Now, you've you referenced sports, and, and that's sort of – uh, you know, how we got connected is your connection to sports. But I, I want to go back to the start. How did you develop a love for sports and, and what was the sport or what were the sports that first kind of drew you in when you were growing up?
1: I grew up listening to Brian Barnhart commentating football and college basketball for the Fighting Illini and Don Fisher commentating football and basketball for the Indiana Hoosiers, as well as Mike Shannon broadcasting for the St. Louis Cardinals. So those were three broadcasters who got me interested in sports just because of the vivid pictures they could paint of the action happening on the court or the field.
0: Do you have favorite players or, or teams or are your favorite teams those that you just kind of mentioned the the, the broadcasters would call games for?
1: I've never really had favorite players or teams I enjoy listening to, to great radio broadcasters, though. I, I listen to the Texas Rangers games when I have time. I think the radio broadcasters do a great job. also listen to Pat Hughes of the Chicago Cubs, who I've talked with some as well.
0: And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned baseball. You've served as a broadcaster doing baseball and basketball, I believe, right? Any other sports that you've uh, worked in as a broadcaster?
1: As a radio broadcaster, I've also commentated – college softball, men's and women's college basketball, five minutes of a Boston Celtics game in 2013 when they played at the Indiana Pacers the first time. My friend Brad Stevens came back to his home city to to coach the Celtics and uh, men's and women's college basketball as well at Evansville and Western Illinois for graduate school. Okay, so
0: you you mentioned Evansville. That's where you you, uh, went to get your undergraduate degree. Why Evansville, what drew you there, and and what did you study while you were there?
1: I was really interested in studying sports management, which I studied. I also studied sports broadcasting when I was there. And the former Evansville head men's basketball coach, Marty Simmons, was gracious enough to give me the opportunity to sit on his Evansville men's basketball bench, which is something that really changed my life because I was able to be around players and coaches and to shoot free throws. Before the game, and to really do something I never dreamed of being able to do since I cannot see.
0: When the game's on the line, a minute left, we need some free throws to ice the game. What's your uh, what's your free throw shooting ability?
1: Well, I mean, I don't normally shoot in that pressure situation, <laughs> but I can tell you that. Normally when I would shoot before the game or at halftime, I'd normally miss miss the first four or five, and then I would get on a, a decent run of making four or five straight a couple times or three straight three times, things like that. And by the time that I finished college, I, I started shooting three-pointers, but I could never really get very good at three-pointers because I was always scared to to jump off the ground because the the the, the feeling of of being off the ground and being up, um, up off the ground was something that always scared me and, and then made me nervous. So I never shot three pointers very well.
0: All right, Bryce, you mentioned Brad Stevens. Uh, you have a relationship with a number of college coaches. I imagine since you mentioned Brad, he's one of them. How did these relationships start and, and which are the relationships that really stand out to you as is being impactful or influential?
1: So they all started by me either calling the, calling the coach's office or contacting the coach. And, I mean, Rick Patino and Brad Stevens were two that have always been really important to me just because people think, oh, they're so famous, they can't, or they don't really help people, but they've both been influential to my life. Coach Stevens, whenever he was at Butler, he gave me pieces of Final Four net from the 2010 and 2011 Final Fours. Whenever... Louisville won the national championship in 2013. I I received a a national championship ring, and then Coach also cut me down a piece of national championship net, and then whenever Louisville defeated his former player, Billy Donovan, in the 2012 Final Four, uh, Coach also had Garky Jane cut me down a piece of Final Four net, and he actually gave up his piece of net Coach P did so that I could have a piece of Final Four in that, and that's always been important to me because because those were things and items and and celebrations that I didn't think that I would be able to have a part in since I cannot see.
0: That's amazing, and and Brad Stevens, uh, you mentioned head coach of the Celtics, gave you an opportunity to broadcast an NBA game. Uh, I want to ask you about that. But first, what are some of the things that you do to put yourself in a position to be able to broadcast that uh, other people maybe don't have to deal with uh, with the advantage of sight?
1: I would read facts on the players and the coaches. I would listen to each team's previous couple of games. I would also try to speak to the coach before the game. And I would always treat each game the same, whether it's women's basketball or women's soccer. I would always try to talk to players, especially for women's sports, because those sports do not do not have the coverage that they should have. Just because people tend to just focus on the men's sports, which is not really fair. What's your
0: favorite sport to broadcast?
1: Um, from the challenge perspective, it would be soccer because the offsides call always confuses me. I always really enjoy the the pace of a college basketball game, being able to hear the ball bouncing off the room or swishing through the net, and if a broadcast does have those microphones on the basket, I will go shoot free throws on the court before the game to determine how the ball bounces so I can add that to my radio broadcast.
0: So, you know, it, it's amazing, Bryce. I, I've always heard that, you know, people who don't have sight maybe have other senses that are heightened and, and maybe – are able to do things that uh, others aren't. A- as a broadcaster, you obviously have to overcome the challenge of, of sight. Uh, what are some of the areas in which you feel like maybe you have an advantage? I mean, just little things like hearing you talk about your preparation and and listening to the way the ball bounces off the rim strikes me as something that uh, I'd say 99% of broadcasters don't take the time to do and and therefore don't maybe have that knowledge but what are areas where you feel like maybe you have an advantage to some degree?
1: I've listened to thousands of sporting events on the radio. So really studying the play by play broadcaster that I'm working with and determining his or her style. And then studying, for example, how many times that that broadcaster leaves a break in the game. So maybe there'd be a time where I would want to talk, but the play by play broadcaster is talking so much that the fans cannot hear the crowd. So studying the style of the broadcaster that I'm working with, and then also <clears throat> keeping track of things that the broadcaster may may not do as much of, such as how many times it has ended in a turnover or how many times the, the ball has ended up with, with the offense or the defense, things such as that.
0: Do you have a favorite stat just in any sport, something that you love kind of tracking throughout the game?
1: I'm just there to make the play-by-play broadcaster be the star, so whatever he or she really isn't doing, that's something that I focus on. If they're not really tracking first first pitch strikes, then I'll focus on that. I actually really enjoy commentating with a broadcaster who will do all the things properly, leave good levels of silence in the game, track all those stats, so I can just enjoy commentating the baseball game, tell stories, and, and really talk about what's happening over the court or the field. It actually takes away from the work I have to pay attention to if the play-by-play broadcaster can actually do all those things, which they should do anyways, but they don't always do that.
0: uh, Is there a broadcaster that you'd really like to meet that you have not met yet, or or a broadcaster with whom you'd really like to work?
1: Uh, People are people. um, As far as meeting people, I guess whoever would be interested in, in talking to me and then commentating with, Whoever wants to have me commentate with them, because I could tell you I'd like to commentate with a certain play-by-play broadcaster, and then, you know, whether or not he or she feels comfortable commentating with me, since I cannot see, because I've had broadcasters who haven't wanted to commentate with me in the past since I'm blind. So people always ask me who do I want to commentate with, and, and, and that answer is is whoever wants to let me commentate that game, whether it's high school, college, professional sports, whatever the case might be.
0: All right, so broadcasting an NBA game, how did that all come about? I know you mentioned Brad Stevens, but what was that experience like? And, uh, uh, yeah, I guess just if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts and and perspective of of that opportunity.
1: I was sitting with the Celtics radio broadcasters, Sean Grandy and Cedric Maxwell, for the first time Brad Stevens came into play at – the Pacers in December 2013, and I was sitting with them at their broadcast location, which is about halfway up in the Bankers Life Fieldhouse, and um, they both knew that I'd commentated games before as a blind radio broadcaster, and so they decided to put me on for the last four or five minutes, and it was a lot harder to talk about what was happening in the game with the 24-second shot clock, because at that point in time, men's basketball had a had a 35-second shot clock, and the women's college basketball had a 30-second shot clock, so the six less seconds made it a lot different.
0: So when you showed up to the game that night, did you not know that you were going to be given this opportunity?
1: I had no idea I was going to commentate that game until at some point in the second half.
0: Got it. All right. Uh, We're talking with Bryce Weiler, and and, and Bryce, you uh, co-founded the Beautiful Lives Project. I'd love for you to share with our listeners what the beautiful lives project is
1: with the beautiful lives project we work to help individuals of all disabled groups be able to live their dreams in programs in sports art cheerleading dance ballet nature all across the country so we have chapter presidents who will run uh, events in in uh, big cities or large towns we actually have a lady who does events in the Dallas area, Stacey Apple, she is our chapter president, and she's done events before with the Texas Legends. She's always looking to add more types of events and programs to the sports calendar or to any of our, any of our other categories, which people can find at www.beautifullives.org. Always looking for more chapter presidents who might want to run events and programs across the country as well. And we're always looking for people to help us by investing in smiles and helping us through funding so we can set up more chapters across the country, train more chapter presidents, and make dreams of individuals of all disabled groups come true. What
0: gave you the inspiration to do this, and and what was the process of developing the Beautiful Lives Project?
1: I became inspired to create programs to help fans of all disabled groups be able to live their dreams after Marty Simmons gave me the opportunity to sit on the Evansville men's basketball bench. So after I'd gotten my work with the Baltimore team uh, baseball as their disability consultant, I was contacting professional sports teams in May of 2017, and I emailed Anthony Acavone, who's the owner of the New Britain Bees baseball team on the East Coast. I told Anthony about my time sitting on the Evans men's basketball bench and how that had changed my life and how I wanted to be able to give these dreams and these types of programs back to individuals of all disabled groups to help them live their dreams. And Anthony said that was something that he'd been interested in doing and he was kind enough to give me that opportunity.
0: And you mentioned, uh, your, your time with the Orioles, uh, Okay, so explain to me how that all came about, working as a consultant with the Baltimore Orioles. Was that something you pursued? Did they reach out to you? Uh, how did that relationship form, and, and what exactly did you do for them?
1: That happened because I emailed John, uh, John, um, who's the son of their owner, Peter. Um, John Angelos? Peter, Peter Angelos, and I, I told John how... I wanted to help professional sports teams be able to make their stadiums more accessible and to give fans of all disabled groups the opportunity to play on the field or to live their dreams through sports. And that was something that he told me that Baltimore had been looking to do, and he was kind enough to give me that opportunity, which I've had since June of 2016. The first event we did was in September 2016 when we gave away tickets, and Baltimore was able to find out that they have – all sorts of fans who were in wheelchairs or having autism, whatever the case might be. So that was useful to them to figure out how many of these fans that they had. And then in 2018, the uh, Baltimore became the first team in sports to wear braille on their jerseys to honor people who were blind. So I helped set that event up. We had fans who were blind come to that game. It was the Orioles against the Toronto Blue Jays in September of 2018. And I put food menus into Braille so those fans could read what there was to eat and drink around them and found places for their guide dogs to use the bathroom. And then last year, in September 2019, fans of all disabled groups had the opportunity to play on the field with the Orioles players and coaches on the lush, soft grass at Camden Yards. And that was a great experience, giving people the opportunity to live their dreams of playing on a major league field and playing with, with some of their favorite players and coaches.
0: Do you find that, that the newer stadiums, arenas, and, and sporting venues are appropriately accessible uh, to people with all sorts of disabilities, or do you find that, that those venues are still lacking in that area?
1: It just depends from team to team. I have spreadsheets on my computer of of the types of programs teams do and how willing they've been to change or to upgrade these programs some teams they have really good programs and other teams do not because of the five major professional sports leagues the commissioners and the presidents of these leagues do not really mandate what types of programs teams have to do so they can range all the way from certain teams having closed captioning boards or to special noise sensitive areas to teams not having any of these items and having even less
0: all right, now, Bryce, speaking of baseball, you're involved in something called Beep Baseball. What is Beep Baseball?
1: So I have played Beep Baseball before, but it isn't something that I really play too often, actually, but I can explain it to you. It is a game where people who are blind or, or, or have some sight, a small bit, they all wear a blindfold so that they all are entirely blind and there's a pitcher who can see and he or she stands 20 to 30 feet away from the batter i'm not exactly sure what the exact uh foot mark is and he or she then asks the batter to show the pitcher the uh swing here's her swing it can be men or or you know anyone on a team by the way so after that the pitcher will then throw the ball to the batter then hits the ball there, there are two beeping bases which are activated, one in the first baseline area and then one in the third baseline area. And then those, um, well, only, only one of the two then gets turned on and the batter does not know which one it is. He or she will then run towards that beeping base and then there's five fielders out in the field. The pitcher does not count, by the way. And these five fielders all have blindfolds on and they try to field the ball and pick it up also being blindfolded, even if they do have some level of sight.
0: And and so with the the beeping that helps navigate things, how loud is this beeping? Is it incredibly audible to anyone around? Is it? Uh, I mean, is it only audible when the ball approaches you? How loud is the beeping?
1: I would say that the beeping is a decently loud level. It isn't too overwhelming. Um, I would say that it that it isn't loud enough sometimes because sometimes whenever people cheer or clap before the the play is over sometimes i don't always count count those plays because it's supposed to be entirely quiet at a beat baseball game almost like a golf match oh wow okay
0: uh all right bryce uh, this is amazing i i really can't wait to to share this with everyone but one more time i wanted to Uh, circle back to the Beautiful Lives Project. What are ways people can get involved to support the Beautiful Lives Project and and make sure that they're making a difference in that area?
1: People can donate on our website, which is www.beautifullives.org. If people would like to become a chapter president, they can contact me at Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E, at beautifullives.org. They can also call me or text me with any questions about the nonprofit or about any other work I've done as a blind broadcaster or how people have helped me be successful in my life and my phone number is eight one two eight nine nine five six seven three eight one two eight nine nine five six seven three. And with the nonprofit we can help them do anything from becoming a chapter president. If they have people who want to take part in an event, we can help them with that if they want to participate in an event or if they have something that they'd like to see set up in an area where we don't have a chapter, they can let me know and I can work on getting that done.